Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Megan Murphy. This week, we look at bank results and job cuts. First to HSBC and the results delivered today by new chief executive Stuart Gulliver. Last night, they announced the sale of half of their U.S. retail branches. So they're clearing out there and they're just really getting rid of the businesses that don't measure up to some quite stringent targets that Stuart Gulliver laid out in May. Then we look forward to the rest of the U.K. banking sector as we anticipate what results are likely to be published later this week. On the one hand, you've got RBS and Standard Chartered with established CEOs pursuing established strategies and probably relatively unremarkable numbers we're, we're likely to see from them. And then on the other hand, Lloyds and Barclays, which like HSBC have new chief executives putting out the first evidence really of their changes in strategy. And finally, we'll discuss the job cuts that are being announced across the banking sector in Europe and what this might mean for the industry. Barclays Capital has been cutting fairly quietly. We haven't had any big headline numbers like we have for Lloyds, like we have for HSBC. Whether we'll get a big announcement on that tomorrow is less certain. Joining me this week is the FT's banking editor, Patrick Jenkins, and retail banking correspondent, Charlene Goff. But let's start the show this week with Stateside. This is Dan McCrum with the main story stateside this week. Obviously, the week's news was dominated by the attempts to raise the debt ceiling and the prospect for a downgrade of the U.S.'s sovereign rating. But we also had two interesting hedge fund stories as well. One, the retirement of one of the most successful hedge fund managers ever, George Soros, and also the discovery that as pension funds have charged into hedge funds, the returns have actually been rather poor. But first, the debt ceiling. As it now looks like a agreement might be reached, uh, we've concentrated on some of the effects that the downgrade to the U.S. credit rating may have. It still seems likely that Standards & Poor's rating agency may choose to knock the U.S. from AAA down to AA, which could have some unfortunate consequences in the short-term financing markets. Repurchase or repo rates could be affected, causing some short-term funding difficulties for banks on both sides of the Atlantic, or at least making life a little more expensive, which could cause a general contraction of credit over Overall. On the hedge fund side, George Soros has finally decided to call it a day, giving back what little outside money was left in his hedge fund. He'll still be managing $24.5 billion and the manager who has possibly one of the best track records in the history of the industry, uh, returning $35 billion to investors over his almost four-decade career, will still be managing money for his family. But he has decided new rules from the SEC, which would require him to register, tell the SEC various aspects of his investments, are not for him. And so he'll be turning into a family office. And we also have some interesting work uh, conducted for the Financial Times, which looks at pension fund returns to their investments in hedge funds over the last decade. Pension funds have embraced hedge funds as stock market returns have been rather poor. From 2% of pension funds invested in the sector back in 2000, now more than two-fifths of pension funds have stuck some money with those hedge funds. However, returns rather poor. North American pension funds, they made 1.9% each year on average from their hedge fund returns. So as this 
perhaps time for pension funds to reconsider some of their asset allocation decisions. Well, that's all from this week in the US. Back to the studio. So let's start with HSBC and its results for the second quarter delivered today by CEO Stuart Gulliver. HSBC kicks off the week of UK bank results with a 3% rise in pre-tech profits to $11.5 billion. Charlene, what did we see? I think the profits are being sort of overshadowed by 30,000 job cuts. That's the big news today, although it was well flagged in the run-up to these results. I mean, 30,000 was sort of the worst-case scenario, and that's the one that's been confirmed by Stuart Gulliver today. Now, that will be mitigated somewhat by continued quite aggressive hiring across their key markets in Asia and Brazil. So the net figure will be a lot lower than that, maybe up to about 50% lower, we think. But still, huge job losses there. But then when you look at the cost base at HSBC uh, that's been revealed this morning, it's clear that they, you know, they have really got work to do to bring that down. I think total costs rose about 10% in the first six months of the year compared with 2010. A lot of that was to do with quite severe wage inflation, particularly across Asia, where they're having to really pay big bucks to get the best bankers over there. We'll be talking about cuts across the sector a little bit later. But where do you think when we're looking specifically at HSBC, I mean, is this Gulliver coming in and sort of cleaning up some of the overambitions of his predecessors? Is yeah. it simply a case of that they expanded a little bit too much in emerging markets? I mean, where does the real cost inflation come from, from HSBC? I think you're right. I think, you know, under Michael Geegan, they expanded not just in Asia, but in lots of other places. And they're now seeking to sort of scale some of that back. They're pulling out of about 40 of their 86 retail markets and then they're also reshaping commercial we saw last night they announced the sale of half of their US retail branches so they're clearing out there and they're just really getting rid of the businesses that don't measure up to some quite stringent targets that Stuart Gulliver laid out in May and that's beginning to come through a little bit actually the broad picture today was a bit better than analysts had expected revenues were ahead, you know, they thought they might stagnate. I mean, there's not huge growth there, but there's a little bit of growth coming through. Profits up about 3%. I mean, obviously, they want to do more there. It's really a reaction to them knowing that the pressures are still to come. You know, they've got to adapt to these much tougher regulatory markets. You know, there's the same pressure on capital. And if they don't take quite serious action now to bring back their costs and boost revenues, they're going to be in trouble further down the line. Patrick, how do you see the future of HSBC and the model that HSBC has in comparison, first, to other of its UK rivals, and secondly, to some of its universal rivals in the States, Citi, JP Morgan, to some extent? I mean, do they have the right model for the more regulated environment that we're facing now? Well, I think investors in HSBC probably will be encouraged by what they see today. Stuart Gulliver's only been in the job a few months, and he set out back in May clearly how he wanted to really trim the ambitions of HSBC in order to improve profitability, as Charlene says. And, you know, he's made a fairly swift start on that, although he stressed today it was going to be a long road to get to where he wants to get to. But in addition to the sale of the US branches, you know, he made clear today that they were in talks with a couple of bidders for the credit card business in the US, which is another fairly symbolic exit that they want to bring about. It's it's not an unprofitable business, but it's one that Stuart Gulliver doesn't feel it fits with where he wants the group to be. He no longer wants to be all things to all people in all markets. Equally, he stressed that they've pulled out of Russia, as we knew, out of Poland and sold bits of their insurance operations around the world. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more of that kind of thing in the months to come. But 
really compared with others around the world, so compared with the US, as you said, the city groups and the JP Morgans of the world, it's a very interesting comparison, really, especially with city. Arguably, city was the epitome of the pre-bust expansion, just acquisitive growth everywhere around the world. And now it's kind of had to go into huge reverse on on that whole strategy and now i guess it's a race between city which started to kind of redefine itself earlier and hsbc which is now getting going on that to see you know who comes up with the model that's going to work as a global bank and of course jp morgan which was hardly tripped up at all by the crisis has been methodically going about a global expansion drive and at the moment looks in the best place really so it's a matter of who comes out ahead So looking forward to the rest of the UK banks then, what can we take from HSBC and and, in terms of trends we're likely to see across Barclays, which is tomorrow, RBS and Lloyds to come later this week? The big disappointment for HSBC really came in Europe. And so that's quite an interesting read across, particularly for Barclays tomorrow, which is even more exposed to those markets, particularly the investment banking side. HSBC's Profits or revenue on the on the IB side were down about twelve percent. I think with expecting sharper falls at Barclays Capital, and that will have a bigger impact on them because you know they don't have as much sort of Asian and emerging markets exposure to offset that. Likewise for Barclays, we could see more disappointment in some of the more troubled European markets, Spain, Italy. We'll get an update on their exposures there, and that's probably not going to be looking too good. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And RBS, obviously, their investment banking franchise is probably going to be hit in a similar way. Stuart Gulliver admitted it was the rates and the credit side of their trading operations in Europe that had really been hit in the second quarter in particular, which is no surprise, obviously, given the macroeconomic developments. But it's something that there will be read across on. I think more broadly, people will be interested. It probably fits into the two categories of, of results this week. So you've got on the one hand, you've got RBS and Standard Chartered with established CEOs pursuing established strategies and probably relatively unremarkable numbers we're, we're likely to see from them. And then on the other hand, Lloyds and Barclays, which like HSBC have new chief executives putting out the first evidence really of their changes in strategy. And I I suspect there'll be a lot to hear from Lloyds and and Barclays on that. And as we said, I mean, one big thing that we wanted to turn back to now is on job cuts. And at Barclays, for example, their investment banking arm, Barclays Capital, has already cut about 600 people. Last week, we saw an unspecified number thought to be as much as 5,000 people being cut across security UBS, 2,000 at Credit Suisse. We now have a much higher number from HSBC, although that's, again, over several years. It always kind of amuses me a little bit when people make such a huge deal out of cuts in the square mile, cuts in the city, given that this is an industry that historically hires a lot of people in good times and fires a lot of people in bad times. What do we think this means? Are people cutting the fat too late? Do they have too many people? Did they expand too much in the good times and sort of expect a much stronger recovery? I think that's probably true. I mean, like you say, Barclays Capital has been cutting fairly quietly. We haven't had any big headline numbers like we have for Lloyd's, like we have for HSBC. Like you said, I think it was about 600 only this year. So I think there's probably far more to do there. Whether we'll get a big announcement on that tomorrow is less certain at this stage. I I suspect you're right. They like to do this quietly, um, not least because they built up those numbers and it would fairly kind of trumpeted that expansion really just going into the crisis if it were coming out of the crisis but as the European crisis was continuing so I think given that that build-up was mostly in Europe they're finding that the crisis in in the eurozone has has really not helped them at all and as uh, they've been slightly off guard on that. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Barcap is one of the most exposed, given that they chose to build up a European equities you know, franchise. And after acquiring Lehman at the height of the crisis, which had a U.S. business, they built that up in Europe and Asia, and they've been really trumpeting that expansion. But that's one of the businesses that has been hit very, very hard, very, very hard time to build up an equities business right now. So I agree, they're going to be cagey. I think they have been given some latitude by the fact that Credit Suisse and UBS were so publicly open about the fact that pruning was needed in investment banking as I expect the numbers at Barcap to be very much in line with their European rivals in that fixed income trading, which is, we should remember, one of Barcap's biggest strengths, has been the hardest hit, as Patrick said, in rates and credit have been some of the worst performing sector. Those are two areas they're very big, and particularly rates. So they will suffer that downturn. And their IB business, which has balanced out their sort of straight mergers and acquisitions advisory, advising on debt and equity capital markets, is not a business that has as a traditional strength for them. So they could actually be hit along the lines of, of, of some of the banks, Goldman Sachs, for example, that were particularly hard hit by this quarter. With the sovereign crisis continuing to sort of linger, it's unclear where we're going to see the third and the fourth quarter shaping up. There was a lot of uh, noise last week about people saying Ozzy Grubel at UBS and Brady Dugan at Credit Suisse both saying they didn't see the market environment improving. Um, do you think we'll get Bob Diamond to say, look, I don't think we're going to see improvement until first quarter of 2012? Bob Diamond's never one to talk down expectations particularly, I don't think. So it'll be interesting to see the language that he does use, does use because I think it'll be quite revelatory, really. I mean, if he does turn bearish, then I suspect it'll signal something quite profound. And also, we have to remember that, obviously, Barcap is his baby. I mean, he ran that division for a long time. He built it. And now he's chief executive. I mean, people were very interested in how that would play out for him. Like, will he be bold enough to scale back? Barclays Capital or does he still you know does his affinity still lie with the with that side of the bank and um, we might get some more of that tomorrow. The other thing to watch out for I suppose is the other European banks and to what extent I mean you talked about UBS and Credit Suisse but the French banks BNP and Socgen in particular have fairly sizable operations they've been expanding in certain areas in cash equities for example at a time that it must have been very difficult for them so it'll be interesting to see they don't have the habit like other banks in particularly the Wall Street banks but also the, the kind of Swiss and, and the UK banks in terms of aggressive hiring and firing in quite the same way so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah that's all we have time for today all that's left to do is to thank Charlene Goff and Patrick in the studio. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next week goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.